Hallelujah. We've had church. We could go home. But now let me tell you something. That one of the most important things we can believe is what we believe about God. One of the most important things you believe about is God. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe that God is merciful? Do you believe that God saves? Do you believe he provides? Uh, do you believe he's a God of love or do you believe he's a God of wrath? Do you, what do you believe about God? Because whatever you believe about God is going to decide a whole lot about your future. Now, I want to show you two people today in the Bible and how what they believed about God carried them through a great trial. Now, how many of you can say, I'm in a little bit of a trial? I've got a trial or two in my life. The rest of you, I want you to come lay hands on me after church is over. Because just about everybody is in a trial somewhere. And what we believe about God in our trial depends on how we get through that trial. If we get through victoriously or, in, or defeated or don't get through it at all. And so I want to read to you a, a remarkable a couple of passages out of Romans 4 about Abraham. And I'm going to look at Abraham, and then I'm going to look at his wife, Sarai, or Sarah. And let's see what it says about Abraham. So when it says who, at the beginning of verse 18, the who is Abraham. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. In other words, when it didn't make any sense to hope, he hoped. Okay? When it made no sense in the natural to hope, Abraham hoped so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, notice that he was not weak in his faith, but he was strong. He, Abraham, did not consider his own body because if he'd been weak in faith, that's what he would have done, considered his own body already dead. His body was reproductively dead. That's what it's telling us. Since he was about a hundred years old and he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, not being weak in faith, he didn't focus on the problem. He focused on the promise because he was not weak in faith. How's your faith today? How's my faith today? We want faith that does this. We want it said of us, not being weak in faith, they did not focus on their problem, they focused on their promise. Not being weak in faith, amen? How many of you want to be strong in faith? Strong in your faith, all right. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for this incredible passage about the father of our faith, Father Abraham. We thank you, Lord, that today, You've got a word for us, a now word, in the season that we're in in our life. And we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, speak to us, change us, rearrange us, renovate us, renew our minds so that we are strong in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, he is faithful. Come on, preach to somebody. Tell him he is faithful. Amen. He is faithful. Can we say together, he is faithful? faithful. Our God is faithful. Now, that's that's my message today. That's what I've called it. He is faithful. Now, let me give you a little bit of of Abrahamic history, just a little bit of Abrahamic background. When Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65, God appeared to him and God made a covenant with him. 
God made a promise, a series of promises to him. And he said, I'm going to make you uh, the father of many nations. Abraham, out of you is going to come not just a nation, but many nations. You're going to be the father. That's a heady promise. But he didn't stop there. He almost, or he also promised to take him and Sarah to a land. And we know it as the promised land. He said, I, he said, I want you to leave. I want you to start walking. He's in Ur of the Chaldees, which was a pagan infested, a, a, an idolatrous city. Ur of the Chaldees was a, a sun-worshiping um, population. They got up and they worshiped the rising sun. They worshiped the sun. They bowed to the sun. The sun was their deity, was their God. Abraham was raised in pure paganism. He wasn't raised believing in God. He wasn't raised knowing anything about God. And don't forget, Abraham had no Bible. There's no Bible in Abraham and Sarah's life because Moses hadn't been born. And Moses was the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Moses was centuries away. So Abraham had no Bible. He he could not get up and open up the pages of any scripture to build his faith. God appeared to him. God just appeared to him and said, Abraham, I want you to grab your family, gather your family, and I want you to leave. I want you to start walking. And the Bible says he started walking not knowing where in the world he was going. That's what I call faith. If God says, Jeff, get on 35 and start driving, I'm going to want to know where am I going? What city are you going to stop me at? Am I headed to Waco, to Austin, where, San Antonio? Where are you taking me? Houston, Galveston, I hope Padre. But where are you taking me? And God, what if God just said to me, just start driving, and I'll tell you as you drive. And then as I'm driving, God says, now I want you to pull over there, that, that kind of thing. He just started walking. He just started walking, he and his family. They ended up in a place called Haran. They stayed in Haran a while. In Haran, Abraham's father died. And then Abraham and his clan left, along with Lot, left and kept walking towards the promised land. Now, God had said... Abraham, when you get where I'm taking you, I'm going to give you that land. And your descendants are going to live in that land. So catch this. Everything God promised Abraham necessitated his having a child. He and Sarah birthing a child. Everything in God's promise necessitated a child. No child, no descendants to occupy the land. No child, how are you going to become many nations if you don't even have a child? So they had to have a child. Now remember, they're 75, he's 75 and she's 65. So, you know, your attitude is going to be, all right, Lord, let's get with it. Because I'm 75 and, and the wife is 65, and I'm sure you're aware of that. All right? So he set out for the promised land. You got to think about this now. And, and you know, he was excited. He, it, wow, God had appeared to him, the real God, not a deity, not, a, not an idol, but the real God, not a fake sun God, but the real creator God had a, appeared to him. And so he's excited. He's full of zeal. What's God going to do? Wow, it was an adventure. It was really something, an adventure of faith. But as weeks turn into Months and months turned into years, and years stretched into decades. 
Abraham and Sarah began to get frustrated. And they're beginning to think now, where's God's promise? He promised us a child. Um, and, And where is it? Because after all, time is passing by. Hey, God, have you looked at us lately? Hey, God, do you know what time it is? Have you ever done this to God? Hey, God. Hey, God. Do you see what time it is? You do see that we're getting older, and this is looking worse and worse for us to have a child. And, and, and Lord, where is the promise? And, folks, they were tested by, by what is usually the greatest tester of us in a trial, and that is the test of time. Time tests the promises of God because our time is almost never his time. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. His timing is almost never mine. Every time God has ever made me a promise, I wanted it faster than he wanted to deliver it. And now we're talking about being 75 and 65, and now I'm 80 and she's 70, and now I'm 90 and she's 80, and God, where are you? And now I'm 95 and she's 85, and and something began to happen. It was like, God, where are you? Between the promise and the provision, Abraham and Sarah were tested by time. And we're always tested by time, always. It's that seed in the ground. We get a promise. It's like a seed in the ground, and it's covered up by the dirt. And when the dirt covers it up, you don't see a little green shoot sticking up out of the ground. There is a a, a lag time between the sowing and the reaping where you don't see anything. You don't see anything happening. You don't know what's going on underneath the ground. You don't see it putting down roots. You don't see the seed beginning to germinate and sprout. You don't see it for a while. And you just have to believe that God is in charge of the process because until that thing sprouts out of the ground, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything, touch anything, taste anything, smell anything, experience anything, hold anything, obtain anything, get anything. It's in the ground. And I'm having to trust God while it's in the ground and I can't see it. And Abraham and Sarah, here's the promise. You're going to have a child. 25 years go by. And there's nothing. And I want to tell you, they got frustrated. And and we know that there were times, and I'm so glad the Bible is honest about the people that are in it, because, because their faith fainted a couple of times. For instance, there was that time when Sarah went to Abraham and said, look, you need to be intimate with my handmaid, Hagar, and and give us a child by her, and and let's help God out. Let's help God out, because clearly God can't do what he said without our help. Let me tell you something about God. When he makes a promise, he makes real sure that there's nothing you and I can do to bring it to pass, so that when it does, he only gets the glory, right? Right? He wants the glory for everything. When it's a real act of God, it did not come by might. It does not come by power. It does not come by the flesh. It comes by the spirit of the Lord via faith in God. Amen. And so Abraham and Hagar got together and Ishmael was born. And it's interesting to me that when Ishmael was born, Abraham picked up that little baby Ishmael that was born of Hagar and not Sarah and, and he held that little baby up, and he said this. He said, he said, please, please, God, let Ishmael be the son you promised. We helped you out a little bit, God. But please let Ishmael suffice. 
Let Ishmael do. Have you ever held something up to God that is a work of the flesh and said, Lord, please let this suffice? Please, please bless this. Please let this be right. I know this wasn't by faith. I know that this came from unbelief and doubt and maybe even rebellion. But Lord, please bless my Ishmael. And, and you know what God said to, to Abraham and Sarah? No. He said, Sarah, your wife will have a son and you will name him Isaac. As much as I love Ishmael, Ishmael is not the, pro, the, the, the child of promise. I'm going to give you the child of promise. Abraham, you need to believe that I'm going to give you a child by Sarah. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how impossible it looks. It's going to be a miraculous conception and a miraculous birth because I have promised it. I will do it. Now, our text tells us that, that Abraham faced two huge impossibilities. And they challenged him. And here they were. Both he and Sarah's bodies had grown reproductively dead. So much time had passed that they were, the Bible says, well past childbearing years. Now, it's interesting to me that during this time of lag time, between the promise and the provision, Abraham's faith did not grow weaker. It grew stronger. What about that? That's why God sometimes waits. So that we're waiting between the promise and the provision. Because as we're waiting, we get into the word and we read about God and we take in the promises. And it's like we're exercising with military presses. We're exercising our faith. And Abraham said, you know what? Here I am waiting for the promise to come to pass. It's either true or it's not. It's going to happen or it's not. And I choose to believe that my God is able. I choose to believe that God is in charge. And no matter how it looks out here, I believe in here that God is able and God is going to bring it to pass in the natural each and every day that went by. Diminish the possibilities of this miracle child ever coming about. And it had finally reached the place where, hey, if this is going to happen, it's going to be a miracle. It's really a foreshadowing. It's a type of the coming of Jesus Christ. Because Mary conceived miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a miracle baby. And this, this baby, this promise of Isaac and Sarah being barren and them being old and it coming by faith and not by the strength of the flesh is a type and a shadow and a picture of the Christ who would come, a miracle baby being born, God's Isaac, God's only begotten son. Yet the Bible says he did not consider his own body already dead. He did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. The Bible uses the word for dead to describe their reproductive deadness as the same Greek word that you use to talk about a person who is dead, corpse-like, lifeless. Paul chose that Greek word to bring home the reality of what they faced. They were alive as far as walking around, eating, sleeping, still being alive on the earth. But reproductively, he was dead. She was dead. They could never have had a child in the natural. It was way past the years. And we're talking 100 and we're talking 90. Everybody say, praise God, that's not me. 
Yet, he, he did not consider, listen, he didn't consider Abraham was walking by faith. He didn't consider his own body. He didn't consider the impossibility. He didn't consider the problem. He did not look at how in the world is this going to come to pass. He did not look at it. He didn't focus on it. He didn't dwell on it. He didn't fellowship with it. He said, I, I'm learning by faith to look at the promise and not the problem. So he looked away from the problem. He quit looking in the mirror and he focused on the promise, the God that made the promise. The Bible says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but Abraham was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So time did not weaken his faith. Circumstances did not diminish his faith. Rather than his faith weakening, the Bible goes on to say, Abraham became fully convinced that he, God, what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Amen. Amen. Can we get thank God for that today? That's a powerful verse. I love this. He became fully convinced. He didn't just become a little bit convinced or kind of name it and claim it. He wasn't trying to work himself up into it. No, he woke up one day and he was fully, totally convinced that no matter how reproductively dead they were, his God was able. See, some of you are looking at something dead in your life. You're looking at what looks like a dead marriage or a dead dream or a dead vision. And you're saying, it looks dead to me. There's no hope for this. But our example here is Abraham. If it was God that spoke to you, it doesn't matter how dead it looks. If God before you, who can be against you? Listen, God raises the dead. God speaks about something as though it were when it is not. God speaks to dead things and he raises dead things to life. So Abraham said, listen, I'm fully convinced. I believe that God is able. And it was his faith in God's promise that brought about God declaring him righteous. And that's how he's the father of our faith. He's the father of our faith because Abraham believed God. And God said, because you believe my promise, I'm declaring you righteous. I'm putting my righteousness on you, Abraham. He became our father that way because how do we get righteous? We believe the promise of God that if we place our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he will take his righteousness and put it on me. And we are declared righteous, not by works, but by faith. So Abraham became the the template, the example, the role model, the foreshadowing of how you and I are declared righteous. And that's how he's the father of our faith. And therefore, since he believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham's confession was this. He is able. He is able. He is able. My God is able. It may look dead, but he is able. It may look hopeless, but he is able. It may look like it's too late, but he is able. It may look like God's behind the game, but he is able. I don't see how it's going to happen, but he is able. I don't know how he's going to bring this to pass, but he is able. I want you to say it with me. He is able. Come on, everybody. Say it again. He is able. See, there are times in all of our lives we got to look at something, even though it looks impossible, and say, you know what? In the natural, it's impossible, but my God is able to raise the dead. 
But now we come to Sarah. And, and Sarah's faith is a little bit different from Abraham's in this way. Abraham had put his faith in God's ability. He said, he is able. My God is powerful enough to bring this promise to pass. But Sarah wasn't focused so much on God's power as on God's character. Because the Bible says this, by faith, Sarah. Oh, this is so powerful. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age. Why? How did she do it? Because she judged him faithful. Say with me, judged him faithful. See, Sarah, Sarah sized things up one day. She looked at, she, she knew she was old. She knew she was reproductively dead. She knew that it was an impossibility now, 190. She knew that it was impossible. She sized it all up and she said, you know what? In the natural, it looks impossible, but here's what I'm concluding. God is faithful. She had no Bible to tell her that. God had shown her that. God had shown her, you know what, Sarah? You need to understand, I am faithful. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. The Bible in the book of Revelations calls him faithful and true. He is faithful. And so it says she judged God. She concluded that God was faithful. Abraham believed that God could do it by his power. Sarah believed that God would do it by his character. Come on. Think about that. See, notice, notice what she believed about God carried her through this trial. The two of them together believed that God could and would bring to pass his promise. Now, Sarah's faith in God's faithfulness spoke to me this week. It just jumped off the pages and grabbed me by the throat and shook me a little bit. You ever been shaken by the word of God? I've read that a hundred times, a hundred times, but it never hit me like it did this week. It said, she judged God. She judged God. She concluded that God is faithful. Faithful means that you can count on somebody without fear of disappointment. Sarah judged God faithful. It was her faith in God's faithfulness that strengthened her to conceive seed. Do you know what that's telling us in the Bible? It's so powerful that in her body, she received a miracle. There was a shifting, a touch, a miraculous healing on her body that an old woman was given a young womb. She was given the ability to conceive a child when that was long ago gone. She, it's her belief that God was faithful resulted in a miracle in her body and what looked impossible becoming possible. So I'm telling you, it matters what you believe about God. Do you believe he's faithful over your situation? Faithful over your money? Faithful over you? Faithful over your family? She said, I believe that my God can be counted on without fear of my being disappointed. I believe this is true about God. 
He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He's somebody that can be counted on without fear of disappointment. And I conclude that that is God. I choose to believe that about God. I have decided that is true about God. And I wonder how many of us here today have decided that that's true about God. Have we decided that God is faithful? Have you decided no matter how long a promise seems to tarry, or that circumstances seem to refute what God has promised you. Even then, you have judged God to be faithful nevertheless. God is faithful. Listen, that's his character. He is faithful and true. He is a faithful God. The sun would stop its shining. The earth would stop its spinning before God would stop his faithfulness. God is faithful. Amen. Can we say it again? God is faithful. See, if you don't believe that, you're not going to get very far in receiving the promises of God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. Impossible in the Greek means impossible. He he who comes to God must believe two things about him, that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, listen, if I don't believe he's faithful, then how am I going to believe that he's going to reward me if I seek him? See, everything hinges on my believing that God is faithful. Trusting in the faithfulness of God is one of the hinges upon which the door of faith swings. I got to believe in the faithfulness of God. Will he ever let me down? No. Will he ever walk out on me? No. Will one of his promises ever fail? No. Is he going to come back again? Yes. Is he going to take me out of here before wrath falls? Yes. Is Jesus going to return to the earth? Yes. Am I going to be in heaven forever? Yes. How do I know that? The promises of God. How good are they? They're as good as the promiser. And who is the promiser? He is faithful. He is faithful. He's faithful. Amen. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Staring at the ashes of a destroyed Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah also encouraged himself with thoughts about God's faithfulness. He wrote, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. They are new every morning. Great is his David marveled at God's faithfulness. He wrote, O Lord, your loving kindness goes to the heavens. You are as faithful as the sky is high. Bottom line, trusting in God means trusting in his faithfulness. Now let me give quickly three key areas where God is faithful. He is faithful to keep you and I to the end. He's faithful to keep us to the end. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for, read it with me now, he who calls you, say it, is faithful. You know why you're going to make it to heaven? Because God is faithful. You know why he's going to take you when he returns? Because God is faithful. Amen. Now secondly... He is faithful to deliver deliver you from temptation or in the hour of temptation. He is faithful. You being tempted today? Let me read to you what God says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is 
faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. Look at these doors back here or this one over here or over here. And above them all, you see a sign that says... Anytime you and I are tempted, you need to look around quickly because somewhere God has a door and above it, it is marked. I'm giving you a way out. I'm showing you how to get out of this. I'm giving you a place to run, run through the door because I am faithful. I will not turn you over and leave you in the hands of a tempting devil. I will open a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. And I do it because I am faithful. Yeah. Finally, God is faithful to forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I marvel a lot as a pastor on, on how so many people struggle with their forgiveness. Oh, Pastor Jeff, if you knew what I did, where I went, the things I said, the things I did, then you would struggle with being forgiven too. And, 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 and are you sure I didn't commit the unpardonable sin? And are you sure God has forgiven me? Because I can't imagine God forgiving me. And one day I was talking to somebody and something just came out of my mouth. Bling, the Holy Ghost gave it to me right on the spot. And I said, let me ask you a question. Is your sin greater than the blood. And they said, well, I don't know what you mean by that. I said, well, is your sin, is your sin greater than the blood of Jesus is to forgive it? And they said, well, no. I said, then what are you fooling with? Now, let me, let me just phrase it this way. Is, is your sin greater than the faithfulness of God? And the answer is no. The minute we say, God, I said it, I did it, I thought it, please forgive me. Instantly, God is faithful to forgive you of all of your sin, remove it as far as the east is from the west, and wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you can hold your head high in this world, not because of you, but because of your Savior, the captain of your salvation, has forgiven you your sin. And now it's washed away, and there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Can we stand together today? I want you to say he is faithful to keep me until he returns. He is faithful to deliver me in the hour of temptation. He is faithful to forgive me of all my sin. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise today? He's faithful. He's faithful. Come on, everybody. He's faithful. Yeah, amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the faithfulness of God. Lord, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. We're amazed at your faithfulness. You are indeed faithful and true. Lord, we place our faith like Sarah did in the faithfulness of God. And as we do, we posture and position ourselves for a move of God's spirit 
on the impossibilities of our life. When we say he is faithful, that which is seemingly dead becomes targeted by the Holy Spirit of God for a miracle. God can raise a dead marriage from the dead. God can, listen, many of you, your dream isn't dead. Your faith has gotten weak regarding your dream. God, God is faithful. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. Can we lift our hands to the faithful God? Jesus, we come to you as your sheep, your people, your children. And Lord, we say with Sarah, I judge him faithful. Lord, we lean our impossibilities on the faithful God. We place our impossibilities in the piercing light of the promises of God. And we trust you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. Now I want you to take a moment and give God the impossibilities. It's a financial impossibility. It's, it's, a, it's something you've needed to be delivered from. And it looks impossible. It's been there so long. It looks impossible. It's gripped you for so many years. But I tell you, I speak the word of God over you. I tell you in Jesus' name, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. He is faithful to deliver you. Whatever the impossibility is, I want you to say with me to the Lord, say, Lord, I give to you what looks dead, impossible, or improbable. I give it to you. And I say with Sarah, you are faithful. In Jesus' mighty name. I receive the touch of God on my impossibility. Isaac will be born. In Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed in prayer. Maybe today you're here and you say, you know, Jeff, I'm not sure about my salvation. Listen, friend. Listen. If there's a question mark in your mind about, wow, have I really been born again? Am I a real Christian? Has something really happened inside of me? Or have I just been kind of going through the motions? God wants you to know that you know that you're saved, that you're his child. And I'm going to say a pretty simple prayer. And listen, when we pray this prayer, he is faithful to hear this prayer and to forgive you and come into your heart. So say with me, if you, if you need, the, if, you, if you've got a question mark, or maybe you've drifted from God, you need to come home. Come home now porch light is still on. You're still alive. There's still a chance. Come home. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, forgive me of my sins against God. 
and come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. I believe you are faithful to forgive me right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Because the Bible says the angels are rejoicing. Now, it's true. How many of you are here today for the first time? You're here, 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 here. All right, I'm here. Now, do I not tell, tell all of you that if you bring somebody, they're liable to get saved? Yeah, I ought to bring them. But when I was 16 years old, sitting in jail, can you believe that, me in jail? Sitting in jail, I heard the gospel for the first time. I had long hair like my brother here, parted down the middle, so skinny if I turned sideways you couldn't see me. I was all drugged out. I heard the precious gospel and the Lord touched my heart. Do you think, listen, there's people today still can't believe I'm a preacher because no one would have ever guessed it. But see, there's power in coming to Christ. He changed my life. You may be in a pulpit someday. You may be out there in some kind of ministry. God can do anything. I was delivered from drugs and my whole life altered. So I want to pray with you and I rejoice with you. And this man here, Robert, is, is going to give you some a little blue sack with some things in it for you to take home with you. There's one little booklet in it that says, let the journey begin. Please read it. I wrote it and I wrote it just for you. And I'm going to have you come over here in just a moment with Robert and he's going to have you fill something out so we can pray for you. But I rejoice with you. And, and please know, this is the most important prayer you've ever prayed and will ever pray because now you've been translated from darkness to light. So I, I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for these precious people today. And as they have come to you by faith, thank you that the faithfulness of God has forgiven them. And Lord, they are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now Lord, keep them, strengthen them, and lead them the rest of their days In Jesus' name.